Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. All right, Seattle. Hey, Puget Sound. Welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and the Commodore of Cocktails. Hey, welcome to this happy Saturday night. It is April. This is my birthday show, and I'm super excited uh, to be celebrating this um, landmark year. It's uh, I feel free and uh, unbridled. This is an exciting time because it's COVID time, right? Everyone's at home. Like, what do we do? Well, do all the stuff that you thought you could do, you wanted to do at your house. I clean my basement. I clean my garage. Clean my house. Got rid of some clothes. <laughs> drank too much wine. And eat too much food, but uh, now I'm on the health kick. So uh, today, when we think about doing some fun things and exploring the world of wine or spirits or beers, um, th- there's a lot of things out there. But some of the coolest things are really having a, a someone you can trust really provide some samples or some, some direction for you to explore the world of wine. And I have one of those gentlemen here today. He's a local. Uh, he's a young man who kind of grew up here in the industry, and I've known him for about a decade plus yeah. Um, he's been known as a national champion for, he represented the United States, actually, for the uh, Chendero Tasseur, which is a fancy food and wine group that was founded in 1241 in France. But uh, Seattle has the biggest chapter, and I'm super excited because he uh, comes from a great background. He's got huge, uh, <laughs> huge cojones in the service industry, and he's a super cool cat. His name is Jackson Rohrbach. He's a master sommelier, and Jackson Rohrbach, hey, welcome to Happy Hour Radio. It's good to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, you know, we, we haven't seen each other as much because uh, you matriculated. You you became uh, huge and um, into that. Sure. Go ahead. Be close. All right. There Mike, you go. There you go. Look at that. Ooh, you know, you're an FM guy, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about you. Tell us how you got in the restaurant biz. I got in the restaurant biz because I loved food. I loved being around it. I loved enjoying my mom's cooking and I always just love the energy of restaurants. I loved the vibe and how things are constantly moving on a restaurant floor. And my first restaurant job was a great taste of that. It was frenetic, it was busy, it was fun. It's a addiction you almost get to an adrenaline on a restaurant floor and you, you just love when that sort of rush hits and you need to be on on all points. You need to be in the zone. Aware, yeah. Aware, aware of your surroundings and you also need to be fun and and have a smile on your face and uh, carry that energy when you come to the table. You can't be busy and have a frown on your face and be bringing that bad energy when you walk up to a table. So I, I just love that at a restaurant. What was and the first restaurant? Do. First restaurant was Blue Water Bistro. Really? Yeah. What year was that? 2006. What? Yeah. Oh, boy. Look at you. Man, you went fast. Yeah. Good for you. Uh, That's a fun spot. That was hot. Yeah. It was, it was big time for a while. There were like six of them. And... That was a great first kind of intro, working the busy Lake Union mm-hmm. patio on a sunny summer day. Oh, my gosh. I mean, talk about volume. I mean, they were serving thousands of margaritas and ceviches and chips and dip. And well, I worked at Chandler's just down the yeah. way. So yeah. it was the same thing. Nutty. Yeah, it was wild. It was super fun because it was the yachting life kind of thing. And, of course, we had sunshine. Everyone was happy. And the greatest thing about restaurants is that no one goes in there to have a bad time. You're about having a fun time. Yeah. It's called hospitality. Yep. So where did you go after that? 
So after working at Buar Bistro, I went to live in Italy for a year. What? And living in Italy, I was in Perugia uh, in the region of Umbria, and I had always wanted to live abroad for a year. And I, and I just didn't do like the study abroad with American kids. Like I lived in an Italian city where the main language spoken was Italian. It wasn't like there was a lot of English speakers, and lived with Italian flatmates. I worked in an Italian bar. Uh, I had to use the Italian language, and so I got really immersed into the culture. And one of the things I loved most of all about living there was the fact that on the table, the wine belonged. It was part of the everyday dining experience, both at lunch and dinner, uh, occasionally at breakfast, if you think about you know <laughs> Cafe Caretto with a little grappa in it. Absolutely. Um, but what I loved was just how integral that was to the whole experience of eating food and the communal aspect of it. You, you were always having even just a little splash of wine. Even sometimes kids will get a little splash of wine mixed with water, even if you're a six, seven-year-old, maybe on a special occasion. Um, it's just so ingrained into the culture, and that was what I loved living there. It's like bread. Impressed upon me. Yeah, right? it's like bread, oil, salt, pepper, wine, all on the table at the same time. The wine isn't like this thing you're afraid of or worried about. You just have wine, and it's around, and it's part of the life uh, or the part of the daily rhythm. And that was the biggest thing that impressed upon me and maybe – started me on my way to becoming a sommelier for cool. sure. So uh, tell me about that restaurant in Italy. Was it, I mean, when we think of Italian restaurants here in the United States, we're thinking, you know, spaghetti. Yeah. I was, I learned some regional specialties when I was there. Like in Umbria, there's this really killer pasta called Norcina with sausage and cream and oh sometimes a little black truffle grated over the top. Mm. Like super delicious peasant food, very <laughs> filling and gets you ready to work. Uh, if you got some calories to expend. But um, the restaurant I was in in Perugia was actually a brew pub called Il Barayo, and they had wine and everything too, but it was just a fun experience to have to speak Italian to your coworkers and get in arguments with them. And <laughs> I got I had a coworker throw a bowl of potato chips at me uh, one time, and but it was awesome. I mean, we just had a great time. Did and, you learn to gesticulate in Italian? Oh, absolutely. You got to, <laughs> you got to like... You got to get the hands out there. If only you could see us now gesticulating <laughs> right. wildly in the studio. I know it's uh, it's quite impressive. And so you came back with all its knowledge. You came back with um, a uh, a novice um, Italian uh, handle on the language, right? Yeah. So you you found yourself to Canlis, or what happened? I came back to Seattle. Worked at a couple places. Worked at um, Osteria La Spiga oh. for a hot minute. Um, worked at Via Tribunale. Kind of playing to the Italian oh, thing. Yeah. And then someone walked into Tribunale who I had uh, gone to college with, and uh, I was still finishing up at UW at this point uh, with my creative writing degree. Uh, but someone was like, oh, I work at Canlis. And I was like, hey, isn't that that super fancy restaurant that's really hard to get into? And they're like, I mean, yeah, but it, you should come check it out. And I'm like, you guys have openings? And she said, yeah. And so I staged, I had a little shadow on the floor and got a call, a really exciting phone call the next week that they wanted me on the team. Sweet. And Who made had, that call? Uh, David Kim. Oh, right. Yeah. David Kim called me and it was, uh, it was really great. So I worked there for a, a total of uh, 10 years on the floor. There was yeah. a few little, there was a one little gap where I left to open another, another restaurant called Aragona, but that was kind of a short lived thing. Uh, but yeah, ten years at Canlis. The first five were kind of me learning a couple roles like server and busser and bartender, and then the second five were me being hired back as assistant wine director and working hand in hand with Nelson DeKip. Uh, my last year, I worked as wine director. He uh, Nelson took a sabbatical, and I took over the wine program for a couple months. That was super fun. And then it was time for me to move on in restaurants. Uh, got two kids, needed to not be on the floor 
five, six nights a week. Needed to find some rhythm in my life where I could be around the family more often. Yeah. And so that's what the last two years have looked like is just kind of phasing out of that. Sure. And then in the meet, during that time, you were studying like um, like you your life depended upon it. I know yeah. you were you were meeting almost every twice a week or something, right? Yeah. Uh, which was really fun, and, and we have a great group of sommeliers, a yes. great sommelier community, which helps support great each community. other. Um, you took the master sommelier exam just once or twice. I took it a couple times. So the first, I took theory because nowadays you have to, you know, you got to sure. piece it out, yeah. and you sit the theory exam first before they let you do the practicals. So I took theory in uh, fourteen, crashed and burned. Had to <laughs> go back to the drawing board. I took fifteen off to study to uh-huh. get some rhythm in my life. Bought a house, remodeled it, doing some other stuff in my life. Uh, and then 16, I got back into the theory exam, passed it that time, uh, and then they let you come take the practicals once you've passed that. So mm-hmm. I was invited to Aspen to sit my tasting and service portions of the exam. Uh, in 16, I picked up my service portion the first time through, but not my tasting. Right. What did you think about tasting? Was your When I was in Aspen, I remember my heart was racing because there was not enough oxygen for me. Mm, and I was just out of sorts for the, that whole week. I tried to get there early, go for runs in the morning, get the rhythm up. I stayed outside of the hotel just for better air quality and kind of away from the downtown bustle. Uh, I did my best. I mean, yeah, it's it's thinner air. It's weird, but um, I, I didn't do great in that tasting. And then I did pick up my service, so I, the next exam was 17 in October uh, in St. Louis. And I right. w- spent that whole year studying tasting and took over the tasting group and said, hey, let's go, guys. Yep, I remember. And then I passed tasting in October of 17, and that was my last portion, so I became a master sommelier. Yeah, all right. Yeah. And uh, we have actually have a couple more matriculating through that program. Obviously, Nick Davis is recent, yes, and he's, an, he's a Canlis alum as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting. Shane Bjornholm, Rob Bigelow, yourself. Chris uh, Tangy. Chris Tangy. Chris Miller. Chris oh, Miller, that's right. Yeah, he's down in. Uh, he's having fun down in uh, California. So, um, as a master sommelier, has it changed your perspective about wine? I think with mastering any subject, it teaches you how much you don't know. Yes, it true. is mastering a subject involves more realizing the depth of it and how out of your depth you are than it does saying I know everything. Right, uh, and there's certainly, I think. There's certain competencies a master sommelier ought to have. You're you kind of need to be like a wine navy seal, and be able to be dropped into any wine program anywhere in the world and make it profitable and make it fun and give great hospitality. That's kind of the the hope that the organization has is like we're training people up to be experts that you can look at that certification and trust that they can do these things for you. It's kind of an MBA. Yeah, kind wine. of. And and for me, it's. It's less that it like instantly does something for your career because it didn't necessarily for me, and that's okay. It's more that it uh, offers travel opportunities, networking opportunities, gives people who are, might hire you for something a level of confidence in your abilities. But by no means does being a master mean you're the best at everything because I know a lot of advanced sommeliers or sommeliers with zero certification whatsoever whose knowledge I would put up against any MSs in certain subjects, whether that's I think about someone like Raj Veda at Danielle in New York City whose yeah. knowledge of Burgundy, Bordeaux, French wine, uh, the Rhone, and a lot of other things, too, his knowledge is so deep because of the wines he works with on a regular basis. Yeah. Even though he, I, I don't know, he might be advanced or something, but it's it's like he has a beyond master's level knowledge of Burgundy because that's those are the wines he's opening every day and the collectors he's interfacing with every day. Whereas like Canlis, 
really good at you know Napa, California, occasionally some Burgundy and uh, and some Rhone stuff, but we just don't get quite the expo- exposure to a crazy deep list of French wines as some of these sommeliers in New York and uh, SF and Chicago do. But so. the Canlis is, has the largest seller in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, one of them. I think you know when you look at Herb Farm, Herb Farm. And Wild Ginger at certain points, oh, yeah, definitely right. big wine lists. Also RN74, great wine program. But yeah, Canlis definitely has a big, big old seller. So sure. I remember talking with you a couple, uh, two years ago or so. You said you hadn't been to France. Have yeah. you been to France? Since? I've been to France. Yeah, I got to go two times in 2018. Uh, spent time in Burgundy, Champagne, Chablis, and then we went to uh, my second trip was just Bordeaux, and that was really cool. So, wow. And and Bordeaux, I expected to be kind of like stodgy and maybe boring and maybe just a little behind the times, but I did not find the trip like that at all i mean yeah the wines of bordeaux are sometimes still kind of doing old like still occupying an old school space but this the region and the city were so cool vibrant. i love bordeaux yes. young vibrant young like energy popping off really cool wine bars cool restaurants some fun natural wine bars some fun more old school wine bars that we we checked out equally and had a great time with and the rail system there yeah really easy really cool and we rented bikes just a really fun place to go that's yeah. fantastic. Well, so now you now you're truly truly immersed in uh, French the French culture. And did you uh, sort of uh, take a pivot? So you must be a cheesemonger as well. I imagine being in Italy <laughs> and France. Okay, I'll say this: cheese. If you've only ever lived in America and eaten cheese in America, <laughs> it's like you. It, it, the difference that first bite of epoise you have when you go to France, it's like watching black and white TV your whole life and then going into like Cinerama, HD, surround sound. Like that's how different eating cheese in America and eating cheese in France is. Yes. It is night and day. And it is incredible how good cheese is in France when you eat it there. It's fantastic. And if you haven't become a cheesemonger or a cheese fan, uh, you have to try some cool cheeses. Even the stuff we get imported here from France, a little different because we have some different rules from over there. But uh, what we're finding is that that whole natural biotic, the the um, the fermentation that happens there is is kind of better for the for you than killing it as we do here pasteurizing yeah. it. Cool. Yeah, check out Dillerenti. It's oh, legit. That's legit. Hey, uh, guess who's legit is Jackson Rohrbach, Master Sommelier with CrunchyRedFruit.com. Uh, stick around, folks. We're going to talk more with uh, Master Sommelier right here on Happy Hour Radio. Some say three is a crowd. We say the more the merrier. Markley, Van Camp, and Robbins. Weekdays, 9 to noon, KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle Somalier, Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle, hope you're having a great Saturday night and you got something tasty in your glass. I've got a really fantastic wine. Uh, it's always great to be surprised by someone who you can trust and know wine. And uh, I'm going to have a pleasure of hosting Jackson Rohrbaugh, Master Sommelier, here with CrunchyRedFruit.com. Uh, Jackson had a 10-year what a 10-year career at the um, one of the most vaunted and celebrated restaurants here in the Pacific Northwest, Canlis. And now he's off on his own, and he created a, a new project. Tell me about your project, Jackson. So my project is called Crunchy Red Fruit. Uh, it's named after a wine tasting note that I saw from time to time in British wine publications or American wine tasters. The sound of that, Crunchy Red Fruit, was like something I wanted to make a company out of. So I 
noticed that when I was at Canlis buying wine for the list, kind of doing the curation process and at other restaurants I've worked at, I noticed that there were wines that didn't always make sense in the wine program um, or wines that I would taste and love, but either the price was a little bit too low or too high to be a glass pour or it was not something people would buy when they saw it on a list because they didn't know what it was, but the wine was delicious. And there's only so many of those you can do as hand sells right. when you have a wine list to put together. So you can't just, make everything a hand sell on your list. Exactly. So I was just kind of thinking through, okay, what do I – What do, I love so many of these delicious wines that are from far-flung regions made with maybe a little bit less traditional grape varieties, not mm-hmm. your classic Cabernet Chardonnay, Pinot Noir. And I wanted to find a way to share those things with people. And so I started Crunchy Red Fruit as a subscription uh, wine box – it's a six bottle box. It comes to your door every two months. It's one eighty nine, including shipping. So definitely some nicer retail wines. We'll call them. These are not super high end, crazy collectible wines, but some of the wines are definitely on par in terms of quality with those. Uh, but this is a way to get six bottles to your door every two months. Everyone who's part of the club or what, what we're calling the Crunchy Red Fruit Circle gets the same wines every six months. And it's not just about me handing off wine to you and saying, see you later. It's about involving people who are part of this circle in learning about wine. I really care that people are finding out what else is out there because I get to taste all these wines, as do you yeah. as a buyer. You're tasting hundreds of wines a week, and you're cataloging these things in your head, and you're like, I need a venue to share these with people. And some of these wines will never see the light of day on a retail store shelf at a at a Safeway or a QFC or a Costco <laughs> no, because they don't say Cabernet on them and people don't buy things they don't know. And that's such a shame because there's so much delicious wine out there that never sees the light of day. And so what this is is my passion project to say six bottles that I think are super compelling, that have a great story to tell, that are organic, made by small family vineyards, uh, sold to me by small family importers. You know, these are not big players – um, oh, telling peachy, me what man. to put on the shelf, which is kind of what happens at a grocery store. This is me getting to curate the things that I think are really beautiful, compelling, have great integrity to them as a product. They're not pumped up with chemicals. They're not, you know, pumped up with all sorts of winery wine adjuncts <laughs> tricks. Yeah, I <laughs> Smoke mean, and mirrors. You look at a regular grocery store shelf, whether that's Trader Joe's or QFC, and ninety percent of the things on that shelf, ninety. 8% of the things on that shelf are pumped up with all sorts of coloring additives. They're pumped up shelf-stabilizing agents. They are um, harvested mechanically. They are wines made that are there to get a tasty product to you, but there's tricks employed to make that product seem more tasty. Uh, and my goal is to say, hey, these are wines that are less messed with. These are wines that are just <laughs> a, a more clear product of grapes ending up in your glass. Naturally tasty. Naturally tasty, yeah. And and some might call it natural wine. We're not going to get into that debate today, but my point is just finding things that have integrity that I could Honest call the wine. winemaker up at yeah. the winery and talk about it with them in Italian or French if we needed to, because uh-huh. uh, some of them don't speak English. Um, but these are wines from all over the world, from grape varieties that may not be super traditional, but are really delicious. And if you like Tempranillo, Cabernet, Pinot Noir, you're going to find cool stuff you like in this box. Uh, and I'm curating it. There's lots of wine clubs out there that there are. It's like popping up pick. all the time. Yeah, but there's ones that are saying, like, "Oh, you like Cabernet? Cool. Here's six Cabernets." And it's like, well, the the amount of things out there that people don't even know about is so high that I want to find ways to get those in front of people. And then each box has 
cards to accompany each wine, QR codes that take you to a website. Oh, cool. There's two recipes per wine. There's a song pairing for each wine, so a music pairing, really? Spotify link, uh, and there's a video of me talking about each wine. So everyone nice. gets to take part and interact and have an experience with this and actually learn something about wine you guide rather than experience. me handing off wine and telling them to go away, yeah. which is kind of a lot of retail operations are like, here's your wine, see you later. And right. I... I really want to have a conversation with people. I want people to learn something. I want them to have fun and l- find out the vast expanse of what's out there. So, What's great about that is that when people get that little bit of confidence in themselves and they're tasting their palate and understanding a wine, they, they just they exude that energy and they're happy yeah. to share it. And like my mom, <laughs> she's always yeah. picking up on that stuff and then she thinks she's the, the next MS. But um, so <laughs> fun. So uh, what country have you found to be the most... Um, popular in your mind for for the kind of wines you're looking for? Man, I wish I had a actual answer for that. I mean, we've done some really fun French wines, really fun Italian wines, Spanish wines. Some of the most exciting people, the wines that people have been most excited about in their boxes have been from uh, the U.S., uh, made by really? made by winemakers here. Yeah, I mean, the first box, we had a 2013 Gramercy Oldfield Syrah, uh-huh. uh, which was killer. And I actually happened to stomp that wine a little bit during harvest la- uh, in the 13 vintage when I was at Gramercy. And then we had a wine from Chris Miller, so Seabold oh, Cellars. Yeah? We did his Pet Nat, oh, right. um, Petit Naturel, in the first box, like a rosé Pet Nat. Super delicious. Yeah. Uh, and then we had a wine from Nate Reddy at Hayu Wine Farm in the last box. Definitely more natural leaning, but the wine was so beautiful and so clean and so incredible. Uh, it was a Grenache Syrah blend from the Columbia Gorge. Oh, right on. And just incredible. So so fun. I mean, I, that surprises me. But I, yeah. I'm, it makes sense because I think, you know, there's a certain connectivity there, which we have. And then uh, you have a certain association, which is fun. Um, you brought a wine today, which is really blowing me away. It's super delicious. Uh, it's really crunchy red fruit in a glass. Yeah. Tell me about this wine. <laughs> this was in our last box. This is one of the wines. And, and I'm trying to get a range of flavors in each box. It's not going to be six big oaky red wines. But it's also not just going to be six light whites either. There's one or two whites, sometimes a lighter red like this, mm-hmm. and then a couple maybe medium-bodied red, and then a, like one or two full-bodied reds. And so I'm trying to get that mix right so that there's a fun variety in every box. Uh, this is Pinot Donis from the Loire Valley. It's a, Again, the grape is Pinot Donis. Uh, it's not something you see very much. It's only grown in a couple small po- spots in the world. And this is very light in color, but it has this wonderful peppery, savory quality to it. I brought it with a chill on it because I love chillable reds. There's going to probably be a chillable red wine in every one of my boxes because I think it's a way people should be drinking wine more often, especially when you think about an Oregon Pinot Noir or, you know, a Grenache. You could pop those things in the fridge for an hour and enjoy them. And they yeah, it really, makes it more fresh. It brings that, yeah. that, that like, like we like fruit cold, right? Yeah. I mean, warm fruit is like, okay, but when it's cold, it's just got a little more totally um, a verve to it. Yep. Super fun. So um, how did you find this wine? I mean- who brings a Pinot Denis only to you? Yeah. Right? And so, great, great question. You know, I work with small importers. This is an importer that's based in Seattle called Vin to You. It's a friend of mine named Eric Swickard who yeah, Eric. runs yeah, this. That's right. And he imports, he's not the importer for this particular wine, but he works with a small importer called Paris Wine Company that brings us in. And he represents their wines here in the Pacific Northwest. And his goal is to just find things that are really food friendly, that uh, have a lot of integrity of product, so everything he carries is organic. The producers who are making it are making a very, very bold effort to give back to the earth and run their vineyards in a way that's very sustainable. And also, I think the product you can feel a little bit better about it going in your body 
when you know it hasn't just been jacked up with a bunch of chemicals <laughs> to make it quote unquote tastier. So no steroids, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Super fun. Eric Swickard, uh, his brother, cool cat, is a chef at uh, Eleven Medicine Park. I think it was. He was, yeah. yeah. He's actually opening a restaurant in San Diego now. Wow, which, great, great season to be opening a restaurant, huh? Well, there's no pressure. <laughs> Except, yeah. except to repay the investors. Oh man, um, so fun! So uh, when, when you're thinking about how, how do you, what would you introduce this wine? How do you introduce it? Tell me. We just... If I was coming to this, coming to a table with this wine, I would say this: Here's a wine that is just plain yummy. It's a red wine that is lighter in color. It's very aromatic. So swirl it in your glass and enjoy that sort of peppery, savory quality. Get it on your palate. We're serving it just a little bit chilled just so you can enjoy that freshness of fruit it almost tastes like fresh raspberries when you taste it and this is something i would pair with chicken it's something i would pair with a pork chop like a brine pork chop Mm -hmm. with some brussels sprouts those wider meats are like just great roast vegetables this would be great with asparagus great with brussels sprouts um yeah, I mean, I'm always thinking about context with wine, which exactly. is why we're doing music pairings and food pairings and recipe links with every one of the wines in our boxes, because I want people to say, hey, it's not just about whether someone scored this 100 points in a in a dark room where they were surrounded <laughs> by 500 other wines. This is about the context, the food you're eating with it, the music you're listening to with it, uh, the people you're with. It's about that experience that of experience. what a wine can be. Absolutely. Yeah. And we think about the greatest wines we've ever enjoyed. It was I've only had one that I've enjoyed by myself because I was by myself. And I was like, God, I wish someone was here to enjoy this because it's, yeah. it's such a translation. It's such a revelation. It's, um, it's just so exciting to have that similar experience because yeah. that's, that's what connects us. And that's why f- family meals are so important because yes. you sit and enjoy that and relax and nourish yourselves and, and just be close and communal. Yeah. And a wine bottle, it's meant to be shared between two people. You know? It's like the perfect portion. <laughs> oh, for- is it? Right. Yeah, I th- yeah, fantastic. I think so. All right, hey, speaking with Jackson Robot, Master Sommelier and founder of CrunchyRedFruit.com. Stick around, folks. We'll be right back here on Happy Hour Radio. He's live. He's local. He's all Northwest. Lars Larson. Weekdays, noon to 3. Talk Radio 570 KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome to round three. I hope you got something tasting in your glass. And I have a little bit of Pinot Doni from the Loire Valley, courtesy of CrunchyRedFruit.com and Master Sommelier Jackson Rohrbach. So, Jackson, if people want to get involved in Crunchy Red Fruit and have this fantastic experience with video, music, recipes, liner notes, and, of course, the great bottle of wine, how do we do that? So it's pretty easy. You just go to CrunchyRedFruit.com, which is my website, and you click Join or Subscribe Now, and there's a button right there that will take you to it. It's one of those things where you can join whenever, you can leave whenever. It's available to you. The current price for what we're offering is one eighty nine, dollars uh, and that is one eighty nine dollars for a box shipped every two months, and we only have six releases a year. Uh, your your $189 goes towards the six bottles in the box, a couple fun extras. Sometimes there's a gift or a little bit of like, some fun little snacks in the box. Oh, cool. And we also uh, include shipping in that price, which is actually a huge expense. That is huge. Yeah. Uh, That's what I was worried. I was like, one eighty nine. Then you go to the next thirty five, forty bucks because depending where you're at. Yeah, that that is a deal. I'm eating thirty five, forty bucks a box to ship all over the U S. And hey, it works out. 
That's fantastic. So crunchyredfruit.com, it's simple. Um, now, when you tailor your specific shipments, are they... Do you take it um, in consideration perhaps Easter or Thanksgiving or something like the summertime, right? We're doing papers from yeah. rosés. Well, we just started with a single uh, shipment box. So if you want to try it out, there's uh, a product we just launched. And, yes, when it comes time for summer, we'll do a rosé-leaning box. When it comes time for Thanksgiving, Christmas, we'll probably do some kind of sparkling box. Fun. Uh, so people can have a selection of awesome cava, champagne, prosecco when it comes time for all those holiday parties. Uh, those are in the works, but the product we just introduced about two weeks ago is this single three-bottle relief box. Uh, it is three bottles. It's $79, also includes shipping. It was a fun way. A lot of people who had said they were interested in the club wanted to yeah. actually ended up jumping on this so that they could try it out try it and out. see what kind of wines I was picking out. These are not quite the high caliber of the wines in the six-bottle box, but really close, really delicious. Um, and... And My this says, yeah, you have a um, a reason behind this. You yeah. Have a well, once COVID started, when we started seeing quarantines and we started seeing Seattle restaurants closing, uh, a couple Seattle restaurateurs and Seattle restaurant veterans, uh, one of them, Jessica Toussignon, who's worked for Sun Liquor and done a bunch of different stuff, started the Seattle Hospitality Emergency Fund. Right. Basically, as a means to give some of the most needy workers uh in the Seattle hospitality industry, a little bit of financial relief. And they've raised, we're getting close to $200,000. Wow. Uh, and Crunchy Red Fruit, we launched this Seattle hospitality relief box, a three-bottle box for $79, including shipping, as a means to donate to that. So the majority of our proceeds uh, are going to go straight to that Seattle emergency relief fund for hospitality workers. And it's our hope that we can keep giving more. So we've had we've sold almost 300 boxes, wow. but I'm hoping I want to sell a thousand. I mean, there's there's no reason this needs to stop. I I there's people. I look at Trader Joe's and their store shelves are empty of wine, and <laughs> I want people to get really awesome wines delivered right to their door too. So my goal is to sell more of these and hopefully be able to give more to the Seattle Hospitality Relief Fund. So, Well, that's a, that's a fantastic gesture. And as a um, food and beverage hospitality veteran myself, I to totally understand that. I mean, they work for tips a lot of times. Yes. And uh, living in Seattle is not cheap. Of course, everyone knows that. And difficult times, I just read that Tom Douglas is really uh, concerned. In fact, he's... Um, he believes he's not going to be able to open half of his restaurants. And that's, that's a huge loss because those are fantastic... <sighs> places Gosh. yeah they're parts of our culture you know restaurants are these places where people commune together they they come together they abandon their differences for a meal and enjoy <laughs> each other's company so to have all these community gathering points in danger of closing is just crushing it's it's terrible it's so terrible also, we can do to help. right and what's different too is that because of this isolationism this uh quarantine is that we're our behavior's changing in how we approach wine and food. I mean, we've seen uh, the, the videos about people being really anxious and have high anxiety and trying to cope, cope with that with <laughs> yeah. uh, 16 packages of anything. Um, but when we want to, you know, that I'm concerned that they're not going to be going to tasting rooms anymore, that they're not yeah. going to be venturing out, that the Trader Joe's is, is oh, I'm going to, because I don't have any, revenue now it's gonna be that ten dollar wine all the time and yeah. and yet i understand that part but we want to look ahead we're, we're gonna get there i mean life can't end 
and yeah. we can't change it so much that we become a, um, a dystopian society where yeah. we are just so afraid of each other. If it's taught me anything, it's taught me we aren't islands. Like we really need each other. The restaurant people need the customers to come and enjoy food and partake in that. Um, we we need our essential workers. My wife works in a hospital, so she's she's a very essential worker right now. She's in labor and delivery down at UW. Oh wow! And she's you know it's stressful there at the hospital right now. Yeah. And and it's just we we are not islands. We need each other. We're integrated. There's there's a big web of need. And when one piece like hospitality workers fall out of that, it's up to the rest of the web to help lift everyone up. And so. That's well, this is great. This so box. it's crunchyredfruit.com. It's the Seattle Hospitality Relief Fund. Yeah. And, uh, of course, we I've seen that on Facebook. I'm, I'm one of the members who um, are, are really appreciative of all the efforts that are going in to take care of, you know, because I like to go out to, to dine. I think service and hospitality as a professional, it's one of the most important gifts. Like you said, hospitality, hospital, we take care of people. Yeah. And we're... Really, the restaurant scene and the bar scene is the place where people can go to have to be welcomed, to feel warm, to feel appreciated, to yeah. feel uh, and taken care of. And, and everyone likes to be feel special. Yep. And this is the time. We don't want to feel special with a mask on, unfortunately, yeah. uh, which is, is, is cool because you can't drink through a mask unless you yeah. you got to make a mask with a straw. Or something. That's not a bad idea. There's got to be a market for that. <laughs> for sure. Um, when we look ahead, you talked about some sparkling wines and you having visited Champagne um, and you mentioned Cava and Prosecco. What do you think about the whole Prosecco movement? It's really it's become, I mean, it's exploded. I would say that Prosecco is. It's it's almost up to a point where there's like a commodity aspect to it because there's a lot of cheap, low-quality Prosecco out there. But what I think is most exciting are some of the wines that are coming from Cartice, from the, there's a lot of these wines out there that are hand-harvested, that are really beautifully made Proseccos, some of them even bottled and capped with like cork held down with a little string. Mm -hmm. Like there's some really mm -hmm. artisanal, cool bottlings happening out there. Um there's Colfondo, which is where they do the single fermentation, and it's sometimes a little cloudy and funky. Really cool stuff. Those are the most compelling products to me out of Prosecco. I don't really get excited about a $9 bottle of cheap Prosecco in a grocery store fridge. I mean, that's fine. It's sparkling. It's okay. But it's chuggable. It's just, yeah. They, back. Again, when we talk about wines driven by industrial processes, that's <laughs> definitely one of them. Um, that's, and, in fact, they make more Prosecco now than any other sparkling wine in the world. Yeah, I, I believe it. Um, and the U.S. market and the the U.K. market drink up a ton, a ton, a ton of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's certain proseccos that are exemplary, beautiful benchmarks. And the same thing goes with champagne. Not all champagne is is the most incredible artisanal farm product, even if that's the story being told about it. Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of champagnes where they're making three, four million cases, and. 15 years ago, 20 years ago, those same vineyards of those really famous champagne brands were having the trash of Paris dumped into them. And you walk through <laughs> and pick up the little pieces of old blue Parisian trash <laughs> bags in the vineyard. So champagne, there are some really cool, compelling farmer-grown champagnes, but there's also still some in pretty commoditized oh, yeah. industrial the products made there. Yeah. Versus the Recolton Manipulant. Yeah. What's great about Prosecco movement is that um, what I see is that the America is trying different wines. They're finally yes. like exploring. And I think when you you only go up from Prosecco. I mean, some people stay there, but a lot of people are like, oh, I had that. I want to try something new. And so that's a great entree. I think I've seen that with Rosé, right? Rosé, yeah. like, oh, let's try that. Oh, wow, they get it. Before it was kind of syrupy, sweet, runoff from yep. excess juice. But then people got it dry. And 
look what we changed People it. People are making serious stuff now. That it's feels good cool. as a sommelier, as a winemaker, and as a wine uh, procurer uh, with yeah. CrunchyRedFruit.com. This is really fun, Jackson. Uh, when you look ahead, um, do you believe the uh, the Court of Master Sommeliers is um, in the right direction? Are we, are, is, are we as an organization looking to, to really build careers? Absolutely. I think one of the biggest things the court cares about is just that the standard of wine service around the world and in the people that they train and certify can go up. So that we're looking for, at every level, at the intro, certified, advanced, master, we're looking for people who are passionate about beverage, who have a heart for hospitality and love to serve people and put the guest first. That's huge. And that's maybe the most chief concern amongst that organization is that when those people go out to restaurant floors, are they putting the guests first? So. That's right. We are we are kind of doctors and nurses, right, of, yeah. of the culinary and beverage world, and we want to take care of people, which is so fun. And uh, congratulations, Jackson. CrunchyRedFruit.com, the Seattle Hospitality Relief Fund, has a three-bottle uh, three sampler. You can dig in and make sure you're, that you are helping our local community of uh, beverage, uh, food and beverage professionals. And uh, Jackson Robot, thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, uh, folks. Oh, right on. Uh, So cool. I'm digging this wine, uh, the Pinot Doni. And if that's the kind of wine you've got in this box, you're going to dig it, too. So please check it out and stick around. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. Tune it in and turn it up. Cruise home with Kirby. The Kirby Wilbur Show, live and local. Weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m., KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now, back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back to our fourth and final segment. And this is where I get a chance just to play with some of the, the, the cool things that I get across my desk. Now, you might remember that show we uh, a couple weeks ago we talked with Rooted. Um, men's multivitamin, the fizzy, healthy drink mix. So uh, I just got a little bit of this Headwind Vodka, which we'll speak with uh, uh, next week. And I just added this rooted men's vitamin stuff to my class. Now, it looks really funky. Um, it's actually bubbling in vodka, which I didn't expect. So it's kind of cool. It reminds me of, uh, well, something fermenting, or it's more of so like an Alka-Seltzer. But it's so cloudy, I can't see the bubbles. But it is bubbling on top. Now, it smells citrusy. It kind of smells like Red Bull, right? I've, they got whatever that smell is in there. It's here, too. But there's also a um, an earthy kind of root vegetable note to it. So I'm going to taste it. Oh, wow. Has acidity. Kind of high. Now, it's really pretty sweet. Which I get. And they talked about, you know, you don't have to choke down a pill and you, uh, no sugary gummy chewing. <laughs> but this is really sweet. I, it's sweeping the nation. Um, oh, they, they make little jokes on this packaging. But, and the print is so small I can't read it. Uh, but there's a lot of ingredients here. It looks like all vitamins. And I don't see a, um, a listing. Oh, here it is on the back. And it's super small. So, uh, celebrate my birthday show. I can't see anything anymore. Uh, but it looks like it's good for you. <laughs> it's pretty tasty. Um, I think I need some club soda here to sort of uh, stretch this out and dilute some of that uh, strength of the flavors. But kind of fun. I'll do some more. Uh, I'll try the woman's multivitamin, too, just 
Maybe it'll help me grow some hair. I don't know. Uh, but this is with acai, naturally flavored. You know, sometimes you just got to play and, and just give it a shot. Because uh, vitamins are, are healthy or good for you. We say, they say, but they always say that vitamins in, in real food, like fruits and vegetables and things like that, are, are better absorbed in the body. I'm not sure that actual, the multivitamins, you know, you, you really, your body absorbs it and processes it the same way. But regardless, uh, Drink one packet per day, which totally counts towards your daily water intake. Yeah, I guess. It best if taken with a little food in your tummy. Uh-oh. <laughs> I wonder if that vodka counts as food. Anyway, uh, that's Rooted, uh, women's multivitamin and men's multivitamins. Different uh, um, formulas to, uh, I guess, uh, help um, help you party with, uh, with pleasure. I got a new book in the mail. It's called In Praise of Beer by Charles Bamforth. That's a cool name. Uh, delightful reading, surprising personal stories, and relevant statements everyone should consider when talking about beer. Bamforth's work was enough to earn him a reputation as one of the most renowned brewing science professors, but this book explains why the B in beer, apart from its origins in brewing, also has something to do with Bamforth. That's kind of fun. Um, this is a pretty cool tome. We're going to have him coming up in the show. Uh, it's always fun to get a book in advance, so I have time to check it out. They never send me the, the liquor in advance. <laughs> I might go through it too quickly. Uh, but that'll be fun. And, of course, uh, we had Jackson Rohrbar with CrunchyRedFruit.com. Uh, there is a, a crisis in our midst, and that is our beloved culture and our society. If we lose restaurants and bars, we're going to lose a lot of opportunity to be connected as a community. And I think Seattle's based on communities, right? we got Ballard, Capitol Hill, Magnolia, Queen Anne, West Seattle, um, Beacon Hill, and of course, Soto. So all these places um, generate a, a a vibrancy. They add vibrancy to our community, to our city. They also add a lot of tax dollars, and you know that's kind of a bummer part. But it helps with what we want to do and provide. And um, you know, I, I don't always agree with those people who were spending our dollars. Uh, but I do know that when you're out to a restaurant, you're out for fun, and fun is healthy. Fun relieves stress and. And fun is better than non-fun. <laughs> of course, uh, you have a chance to enjoy someone taking care of you, hospitality. But when you can't do that right now, of course, you can check out that Seattle Hospitality Relief Fund, uh, which is um, helping you know waiters and, and waitresses and busboys and cooks and uh, you know people who really depend on that um, that hourly wage, which has been missing here for for so long now, and we don't see the end. Actually, hopefully, we see the end. It'll be in, uh, starting May. Well, who knows who will open? So maybe you can help make sure that your local restaurant uh, will survive. And it's, I know it's tough. Everyone's having um, you know, challenges. Uh, but if you have some resources, you're still working, maybe working from home, you might want to be, enjoy drinking from home. So crunchyredfruit.com, you get a three-bottle sample pack. Um, uh, Jackson gave me a pack. I'll drink it. I'll taste it. I'll share some notes on social media. It's at, at Happy HR Radio for Twitter. Uh, our Facebook is Happy Hour Radio. And, uh, of course, you can check out um, our shows on iTunes and SoundCloud. It's uh, Happy Hour Radio Seattle. Uh, and I look forward to um, uh, having a great April. Uh, I've been furloughed from my full-time gig, and so now I get a chance to really concentrate on uh, sharing the world of wine, beer, spirits, cocktails, food, and more. So hope to see you next week. And remember, when you're out and about, well, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers. Cheers.